Some of you may know, some of you may not. I have a wonderful wife. Her name is Caitlin. And I love it when my wife quotes scripture to me. Um, and I love when my wife quotes scripture to me on Saturday afternoon, and I get to look back at her and say, hey, I'm preaching that passage tomorrow. And I love it when she's quoting scripture while we're trying to decide what wall hanging should go where. And she wants to be the one to hang it on the wall and let me look at it. And she looks at me and she says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> True story. Yesterday afternoon, uh, we don't clean house well together. We don't decorate well together. We don't do a lot of things well together. And uh, as a result, she quotes scripture to me like, get behind me, Satan. And uh, then I get to with a smile on my face, look at her and say, hey, I'm preaching that passage tomorrow. <laughs> then we get to laugh, and we get to laugh together. And so that's good. Today we are finishing our summer series uh, entitled Limitless. And uh, much to the chagrin, apparently, I'm not sure how this happened, but apparently uh, a lot of people thought it was Love Shelleyville Day today. We did this the fourth Sunday. This is the third Sunday. So if that's you, um, no harm, no foul. I'm in a T-shirt on Sundays all the time. Uh, but come back next week, and we'll love Shelbyville that way. Next week, we're going to do that, um, and you're going to hear more about that during the next steps uh, today at the end of the gathering. We're going to need your help uh, a couple of ways. And then the following week, just to give you a little preview, we're going to keep going in Mark, but we're going to be beginning a new series uh, called I Have Decided. I Have Decided. Uh, and that Sunday, July 29th, there's a ton of uh, fresh things coming down the pipe. There's a kindergarten open house. If your kid's moving from preschool into kindergarten, you can come early that morning and check out the changes that they're going to go through. We're going to do something for the first time called Connect at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And that's for those of you who are uh, trying to get in a community group maybe for the first time or get back into a community group. We're going to connect you with group leaders and each other at 2 p.m. at Connect. Groups are going to restart. There's a new session starting. Um, and, uh, and then the student kickoff is that night. So there's all kinds of things coming up two weeks from today including this new series, I Have Decided. And uh, if you're not sure how to connect to all that, let me say this, and then I'll go on. Uh, there's connect cards at the end of each row, and uh, myself and will be at the coffee bar afterwards, uh, and you can drop those off, and we'll help you get connected, both social media, emails, and just connected to people. So do that. But in this series uh, that we're going to start in a couple weeks, we're going to follow Jesus and the disciples as they make his final journey into Jerusalem where uh, he's going to be falsely accused, mocked, beaten, tortured, crucified. Um, it's going to be a great series to invite your friends and neighbors who do not know Jesus to, because each week is going to help us see the value in deciding to follow Jesus. And we're going to see not just that Jesus saves us from our sins, but we're going to see how he saves us from our sins. So it's going to be really good. It's also going to be um, fun, because we're going to continue to watch this relationship between Jesus and his disciples that we have studied closely this summer uh, in Limitless. And what we've done this summer as we've gone through Limitless is we've watched how Jesus and the disciples, they're, they're really kind of feeling each other out. Jesus is trying to reveal to them who he is in a way that they'll grasp and understand. And, and as Jesus continues to show that he is limitless in power, limitless in love, limitless in all the ways that we can even think of with our human brains, they continue to wrestle with who Jesus really is. And that brings us to our conclusion, our finale, today in uh, Mark 8. And Megan read uh, the beginning of that passage for us. And Jesus asks what appears to be a simple question, right? All right, guys, who do you say that I am? 
We've been on this journey together for a while now. I've called you. You've seen me do miracles. And, and who do you say that I am? Now, uh, there's, some, there's something amazing in the geography uh, of this passage that I, I learned this week myself that helps us to visualize this conversation between Jesus and the disciples. And, and so it says, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Well, this road to Caesarea Philippi, uh, it was um, a road that people would have known about because on this road, uh, there is a large rocky cliff. And out from underneath that cliff comes the Jordan River. And so this cliff kind of towers over the city and the people there had carved the faces of multiple idols into the side of this cliff. So even if this conversation on the road between Jesus and his disciples isn't happening in the shadows of that cliff, it, it was well known. They, they would have known that they were going to come up on this. So it, it's really interesting then because you start to visualize what's, what's going. And he's asking this piercing question, who do you say that I am? And he's answering it in light or in the shadows of this cliff that have all kinds of other options for gods. All these other idols that are being worshipped by the people at Caesarea Philippi. They answer, right? The disciples answer. And at first, they're hesitant. And they answer hesitantly with what others have said. Well, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus presses them. But you, who do you say? that I am. And Peter steps forward, as he often did, and he says, you're the Messiah. I haven't ran into anyone yet who doesn't like Amazon Prime. If there would be someone so bold as to say, I really don't like Amazon Prime, and raise their hand, I dare you to do it now. Right? It's, just, it's so convenient. It's so convenient. And impressively, to this point, they continue to do the little things that make it better and better. Um, I would, I would hazard to guess that most of us have found ourselves saying, well, I'll just go order that on Amazon Prime. It'll be here in two days. I, I mean, good grief. Uh, I love my parents. I, I love people that I tell bad stories about, in case you haven't. I love my wife. I love my parents. It's a penalty of being married to a preacher, I guess. But my parents, they're getting older, and they now have a tradition in their home that they take off Cyber Monday they sit around in their pajamas, sip coffee, and they order all of their Christmas on Amazon. I can't lie, I'm a little impressed. Like last year, it was like this badge of honor for them. Like, we got everything off of Amazon in one day. And I'm like, dang, that's good. Amazon, they just haven't changed how we get our stuff, right? That's not the only thing they've done. They've, they've also changed how we decide what stuff we're going to buy. Tell me you haven't been here. You start searching for what you want. And when you think you might have found it, what do you do? You scroll down to the reviews, right? I want to see what everybody else said about this. So, you know, you're scrolling through, you're like, okay, they said it was good, they said it was good, they said it was good. Oh, oh. I can, this is the conversation Caitlin and I have, right? Caitlin, Caitlin, look at this. Mama Bear 502 says that this toy broke after three years of play. And when it broke, it scratched her child. And then she says, absolutely do not buy this. The customer service is terrible. And they, they said that the warranty ran out after two years. And she's got the number 502 next to Mama Bear. You think she's in Louisville? I mean, this is, this is you know, we can't buy this. We can't buy this. And then what do we do? We look for the items that customers bought after viewing this item, right? Like, it completely has changed the way that we, we buy things and that we shop. We do stuff like that. And, and the disciples, right, they're flirting with doing that concerning Jesus. Who do you say that I am? 
Well, the reviews say you might be John the Baptist. There's another review that says you might be Elijah, just another prophet. He says, no, 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 no. You. Who do you say that I, I don't need to read the reviews on myself. Who do you say that I am? And I think there's a lot of days that you and I might be doing that to Jesus too. When someone asks us what we believe about Jesus, we're more concerned with giving them an answer that's like the reviews of everyone else. I'm more concerned about what everyone else is saying about Jesus than what I believe about Jesus. And what happens over time is we give up on the certainty of God because of the uncertainty of others. We hear Daniel's story, right? Like, I know that God is real because of these things and these things and these things in my life. I know that's true, but then there's these things like somebody will say something and they're like, ooh, that's a good point. Oh, Bear 502 had a bad review on Jesus. I'm not sure what to do now. Jesus looks great on paper. He has to look great to the disciples. He's loved the unlovable. He's fed the hungry. He's healed the sick. He's taught them along the way. He stood for justice in the face of sleazy Pharisees. He's done everything well, as the people said about him at the end of chapter 7. But in this moment where they're under this cliff with lots of different idols and lots of different options about who Jesus really could be, there's some uncertainty. And when the culture around us presents more options, when the backdrops of our lives suggest that there's something flawed, doubt creeps in. We give up on the certainty of God because of the uncertainty of others. And we begin looking for something more. There's got to be something more than this. And yet, Peter gets it right when he says that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Messiah. But what does that mean? <laughs> like, what does that really mean? Like, we sing it in some songs at church. You know, at Christmas time, we say the word a lot. But what does that mean? The Jewish people were looking, they were waiting for the Messiah to come. But the prophecy about how great the Messiah was had led them to believe that the Messiah was actually going to be five people. You can go back in church history and see this. Like They were, they were expectantly waiting for five people. They, they had no idea that this was going to be God himself. They were looking for a prophet, a priest, a king, a wise sage, and a suffering servant. So when these disciples answer, well, some say you could be John the Baptist, Elijah, another prophet, they're saying, like, we're not denying that you might be one of these good guys who's you know, going to return the Jews to their position of promise. Like, you're a great guy and all. But they don't understand that he is the Messiah, that he is God, that he is the answer. The idea that God would come in the form of a man and fulfill all of those things was absurd to them. It just didn't even seem possible. So it's a big deal that Peter has made this claim, but he gets it right. And we know that, that because when he says it, Jesus transitions into teaching mode. And for the first time, he begins to teach them and reveal to them that this is how this is going to go down. For the first time, he turns around and looks and he, and he says, guys, I'm going to be rejected. It won't seem fair. It's not fair but it's necessary. The elders, the priests, the scribes, they're all going to reject the idea that I am the Messiah, that I am the one that they've been looking and waiting for. I am the promised Savior. And that rejection is going to spiral out of control and, and eventually they will kill me. But, and this is a big 
deal. Three days later, I'm going to come back to life. Stunned, shocked, caught off guard. That probably just begins the list of emotions that the disciples were running through as he tells them these things. He begins to teach them, right? All on the road, all on the way as we keep going in the mission. And yet Jesus tells them it's necessary. You know, Daniel talked about how he transitioned from asking why to what, but if I'm a disciple, I'm asking why. Why, Jesus? Why is this necessary? Here's a little teaser. Come back for the series on I Have Decided. We're going to talk about why it's necessary. But I still want to know, why is it necessary? Jesus, you're limitless. We've seen all of these things, right? Like us, the disciples, all summer we've talked about Jesus is limitless. If you're limitless, you can do this any way you want to. Why, Jesus? And Jesus doesn't say this, but he shows us this. And and the answer is because that's not how grace works. That's not how grace works. Philip Yancey uh, tells the story of Babette's Feast in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. I would recommend the read. And uh, this story is set in a small, poor town on the coast of Denmark. Father was raising his two girls as he pastored a small church in this coast town. And, and everyone there was, was very poor. The church was very simple, and it was kind of the center of, of the activity. They always served a meal of, of fish and what they called gruel. Like, that was what the church did. They got together, they ate, they sang some songs, and that was like it. His daughters helped him with that. And one of the girls was a beautiful singer. And one day a famous opera singer from France was traveling through the area when he heard her singing. And he stopped in and he said, listen, if you'll let me do some training with you, I want to take you back to Paris and you can be one of the best opera singers in the world. Well, a few lessons into the training, um, things got to get a bit steamy between the daughter and uh, the opera singer. And so they stopped the sessions because that was not anyone's plan or purpose or intention. And so the singer returned to Paris and life seemed to go on as usual. Well, several years later, the the father had passed and the girls were carrying on the ministry to the town the best that they could. And they continued to serve this meager fish meal uh, to the people each week. But the church was clearly losing steam. It was just just a different day, a different age. One night while the church was singing songs, there was a knock at the church's door. And and this rough looking lady literally collapsed inside as they opened it. And she couldn't speak their language, and she held up a letter. And when they opened it, it was from none other than this famous opera singer who had been there years ago. And it simply said, Babette can cook. And he'd signed his name. And so the girls, touched by the moment, brought her in. And for the next 12 years, Babette cooked that same fish meal that they had always had. She just served the people the best way that she could, always coming in, making the simple fish meal, being there to help the people with whatever they needed. One day, Babette got a letter from France. It was the first letter that she had received since being there. And a friend had continued to renew her number in France's lottery, and she had won. And so all of a sudden, Babette, who was this poor woman who had collapsed into their church this one night, had a lot of money. And as it happened, the girls had been preparing a celebration of the 100th anniversary of their father. So Babette came to them and she said, For 12 years, I've made no request of you. I haven't asked for anything. I've just simply been here to serve. And so grant me this one request. Let me cook for the anniversary and let me cook whatever I want. The girls thought, 
she's right. She's never asked for anything. I'm not, I'm, we'll just let her do that. A proper French meal. Well, the meal was incredible. The church watched over the next few days as food was shipped in from France. Foods that they had never tasted before appeared. She had fine linens come in, the best wines, glasses. It was the best meal that any of them had ever had. And the night of celebration uh, began really uncomfortably. Nobody knew how to handle themselves, but slowly by surely, like they just opened up and, and the night was incredible. And, and one guest even mentioned that this feast was as good as the finest restaurant in Paris, Café Anglais. At the end of the night, Babette reveals her secret. She had been the chef there. Babette can cook meant that she was the finest chef in all of France. Civil war had taken her family from her and forced her to flee to this small town without any family. So they really had eaten the best dinner that one could find in all of France. And so the sisters approached her with tears in their eyes, knowing that she would soon leave them for France. She'd won the lottery. She'd made them this fine meal, and she'd be returning. And exhausted from her night of cooking, Babette looked them in the eye and informed them. She said, ah, I won't be leaving. I spent everything that I won in the lottery on this one meal. She said, my only option is to stay here with you. Yancey tells that story because it says it's a picture of grace. Because grace is a gift that costs everything for the giver and nothing for the recipient. Grace. A gift that costs everything for the giver and nothing for the recipient. Later in the book, Yancey defines grace like this. Grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Jesus told his disciples that these things were necessary, not because it was the only way that he could do it, but rather because grace demanded it. If he was truly going to give grace to these disciples, to you, to me, to every person in all of eternity, it was going to cost him. The gift of eternal life is one that costs the giver everything and the recipient nothing. You see, Jesus limited himself to give you a limitless eternity. The one who was Messiah, the one who is God, the one who is limitless, limited himself for you. And this has really big implications. And so I want to read the rest of this, this passage, this encounter, now in a new light. Recognizing that, that Jesus is saying these things because he's limiting himself so that you might be limitless. Beginning in verse 32. It says, Jesus spoke openly about this. And when he did, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around, looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And then calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow me, follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's go back to the visual. They're walking on the road in the shadow of these idle faces carved into a cliff, and Jesus is teaching them about his death and resurrection for the first time. And it says that Peter took him aside. Peter is picking a fight with Jesus. Come on, bro. 
you and me, let's go over here and talk, right? They separate from the pack, and Peter rebukes him. It's a strong word. Come on, Jesus. You can't be serious. If you are the Messiah, you are all those things wrapped up in one. Prophet, priest, king, sage, servant. We need you, Jesus. We need you. Shoot, I need you, right? That's what Peter's saying. I need you. You can't leave me. You can't go away. And when Peter says that, Jesus turns around and looks at the disciples. He has compassion on these guys who are slow to figure out who he is. He wants to spend eternity with them. Not just a lifetime on earth, but an eternity. And so he rebukes Peter back. And notice then what Jesus does. He calls the crowd along with the disciples. Jesus invites everybody back in. He's excited about this opportunity to invite them in. It's not something to be depressed about. It's the opportunity of a lifetime. And he says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. These, uh, uh, these little power blocks, these are like gold, right? How many of you have been out and about and you're like, my phone is dead? You got a power block? You got a cord, right? These things are super valuable because our lives function in many ways through our devices, right? Stay with me. This isn't a phone rant. I promise. But these devices, they, they consume a lot of energy. And if you have an older device, they consume more energy magically. I'm not sure how that happens. Way to go, Apple. I mean, we've got all kinds of things. There's cases that keep these things charged up. There's external battery chargers. I mean, there's car chargers. There's all kinds of chargers. And that makes these little blocks, like, super, super valuable. Everyone, over, everyone always fights by the seats with the outlet at a coffee shop. I mean, like, these things are, they're great, but they consume a lot of power. These little power blocks, on the other hand, are conduits. All the energy that is used by our devices flow through these little guys. And as a result, they stay connected to the source of power. They never die because they aren't the consumer of the power. They're just the conduit for it. How many of you have one of these plugged into an outlet somewhere right now? Right? I know where mine are. They are plugged into the power source as we speak. And so I ask you, which is more valuable? The consumer or the conduit? This is the question that Jesus is putting before his disciples. And it's the question that he's putting in front of you today. Are you a consumer or are you a conduit? Are you going to take an outlook like Peter's that says, No, Jesus, I need more of you for myself. I, I need you here, now. Or are you going to take Jesus' opportunity to follow him and become a conduit of grace, limiting yourself so that others might experience the limitless grace of Jesus? And while on one hand that sounds exhausting, we're reminded that all the energy continues to flow through the conduit. You're always plugged into the source. You see, the invitation to take up your cross, to die to yourself, to limit yourself, to live with less, creates opportunities for you to offer others the limitless grace of Christ. And when we truly show grace to others, it costs us everything and the recipients nothing. Are you a conduit or are you a consumer? I want to hit three things really quickly as we just look back over this passage that are practical application points for us today. Number one is this. Decide what you believe. Decide what you believe. Don't allow the uncertainty of our world to cause you to give up on the certainty of God. 
In a day where everyone has opinions and preferences, you have to decide what the truth is. Decide what you believe to be true about Jesus. Number two is this, repent of consumerism. Repent of consumerism. Psalm 139, verse 23 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. Ask God to search you. God, help me to see where I'm being a consumer. Help me to see where I'm being selfish. Help me to see that, God. Jesus asked the question, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose our soul, as the song goes, right? Our life. He also says, what can anyone give in exchange for his life? What do those questions look like in our context today? Maybe it looks like, what good is stability now if it means uncertainty for eternity? What good is it to achieve the American dream but fail to see the dream of heaven? What good is it to relax in retirement only to be restless in eternity? Ask yourself those tough questions. Repent of consumerism because we have the ability to become consumers at any moment. It's not something that you decide one time. It's something that we face and battle day in and day out. Repent. The idea is, is from the, the Bible to, to turn from it, to turn from those things that cause you to be a consumer, that cause you to say to Jesus, Jesus, I just need more. I just need more. And instead, turn to being a conduit. How do we do that? Psalm 37.5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. I think if there's one way that we as believers in Christ can be conduits to our culture, that we can express grace to our culture, is that we can just amp up how we look at commitment. Like just in general. And let that spill over into our lives. We live in one of the least committed cultures that, well, I've ever been a part of, but I'm pretty young. But I'd say most of us can agree there's not a lot of commitment. We don't see that in a lot of places And I think one way that we can be a conduit of God's grace is is to just be committed to the things that we say yes to. We're so passionate about this right now. Our our staff and our leaders really want to see this come about. And so one of the things that we're doing is with these equip classes that we're doing in the fall, we want to actually structure them. We want to design them in a way that it forces you all to think about your commitment to them, to think about commitment in a different way. We've designed them to equip you to go outside with the grace of Jesus, to be a conduit rather than a consumer. And so those classes, they're going to cost you something. They're going to cost you commitment so that you can give freely to someone else. And why are we doing this? We're doing this because we believe that these limits, when we limit ourselves, they actually create margin that allow the opportunities to be limitless in Christ. We have to learn how to commit ourselves to be limiting ourselves so that we can commit in a greater way. You will taste and see and know that the Lord is good far more if you choose to be a conduit of grace rather than a consumer of it. His power will flow through you to others in ways that you never dreamed possible. If you're a consumer, there's a limit to how much charge you can take. You can only charge so much, but if you're a conduit, His grace flows freely through you. When you're a consumer, you're limited by yourself. But when you're a conduit, you're only limited by what Christ wants to do in you and through you. What he can do through you is limitless. I want to close with this. I love, uh, I love our church. One thing I love about our church is that 
um, from the beginning, they've asked this question. If Christ Community Church ceased to exist, would anyone miss us? It's a question of relevance, right? Would anyone miss us? Now, I can't answer that question for everyone, so I don't know for sure. But I do know as I come through this, this series, this idea of, of living a limitless life, of limiting myself so that, that Christ can be limitless in how he works through me, that I hope and pray that Christ Community Church would be a, a church, a place that our community looks at and says, man, those people are committed. They're committed. In a day and age where everyone's kind of flimsy, everyone's a little flaky, no one wants to commit to anything, they are committed. I think that is something that makes us something that would be missed. Wouldn't it be awesome if when people said, man, those people, are, I don't know what it is, right? and we know what it is, but I don't know what it is, but they, like, when they say yes, they are committed. They, they, they do it. Man. You say, you want to know what it is? There's a grace that flows through me. Given to me. Free of charge. By Jesus Christ. He was so committed to me that even though I screwed it up, that even though I was flaky... Even though I, like, I'm, just, I'm a terrible person at times, he was so committed to me that he did something that made zero sense. He died for me. And he came back to life. And so if someone was going to give me grace like that, free of charge, if, if, if they gave me something that cost them everything and gave it to me for nothing, then I'm going to be committed to whatever it is I'm doing, because that's a way that I can show grace. It's going to cost me something. I'm limiting myself. Maybe I'm limiting my finances. Maybe I'm limiting the way I use my time. Maybe I'm limiting, uh, who knows, whatever you're limiting. I'm going to limit that so that I can give you the margin in grace. In grace. Let's be missed for our level of commitment. Because we're, like, we're diverse, right? Like There's all kinds of ages and people. We all have slightly different values with regard to why we do what we do as a Christian community. But there are these core passions that unify our efforts, that define who we are, and that drive us as a church. We're driven to, to have this connection with God through a personal relationship with Christ. We're driven to a community, being a community of Christ followers too. Or building real relationships, right? Like, what if we were more committed in our relationships? We're committed to having compassion on people through loving and serving with an external focus, like going outside, right? What's it look like to stay committed to that? What's it look like to limit ourselves so that we can be even more committed to that? And as we do that, our passion to see people change is going to just come true. We're going to see God working in that. If we will be committed to limiting ourselves in the small things, the possibilities of how God will move through us are limitless. So, are you a conduit or are you a consumer? That's the question you have to ask yourself. One filter that we can use, as we've talked about, is how am I when it comes to commitment? Am I a person who 
when I say I'm in, I'm in, and I commit, or I'm a little flaky? Allow those questions to, to pierce your heart as we take time to sing and to respond to the gospel. But more than anything, ask yourself, what do I believe about Jesus Christ? Do I believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of the living God, and that he died for me? If you've never placed your faith in that statement today, we do invite you and encourage you to come. I'll be in the back with others, and we'd love to pray with you, just talk about what that means, and uh, help you take your next step. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for limiting yourself so that we could see limitless things done in our lives. We pray, Father, that you would call us to the same. We pray, God, that your spirit would teach us this morning. Search us, God. Help us to know ourselves. Help us to be committed as you are committed so that we might give grace to others as we go and be the church this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.